0: That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part.
1: Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast with my partner, Brian Siegla. I am Curtis Wilson. Brian, how are you this fine Thursday evening?
0: Man, doing good, doing good. How you doing over there in the West End, buddy? Uh, hanging in
1: there, man. And What feels like an extremely long week. We're wrapping that up tomorrow with it being Friday. You know, had some baseball tonight. You know, starting this a little later than usual but you know it is what it is how about you on your side of town
0: good man started the week with a couple uh doctor's appointments or or, or kind of adjacent to that son had a dentist appointment yeah. um i got my uh second uh second vaccine dose there so started with that no side effects for me other than like a little sore arm so i'll i'll take it um but otherwise been a good week man been a real good week
1: Very nice to hear that, man. Very nice to hear that. Sound like you've been adulting a lot this week.
0: Hell yes. (laughs) Try my damnedest, at least.
1: Every week it's adulting, folks. Stay young if you can. All right. Well, folks, got a lot to get to today. Um, Obviously, with the 420 announcement, that's going to be our biggest piece tonight. But over the last few weeks, there has been some other topics as well. Really appreciate all the listens on the Christina Garnett interview. Um, and I think, you know, maybe the football program in the athletic department might have been listening. There are some things that were discussed that were already seen, but we'll get to that a little bit later. But, Brian, let's start out right before we pressed record last time. We got a nice verbal commitment from Alex Orgy, Sashi, Texas, three-star, number 15-ranked dual-threat quarterback in the country, 6'2", 226, he built already. Had offers from Baylor, Michigan, Houston, as well as payment offers from Oklahoma and TCU. What'd you think of this pickup, man, of a quarterback, second quarterback of the class?
0: You know what? I liked it a lot. Um, I feel like with, with some of the transfer we had, getting to this cycle was necessary. So I'm liking that we got, got two in already. Uh, I like this kid a lot. Um, reminds me of Patterson. Little, little, little QP there a little bit. Uh, um, but a th- little bit closer in terms of like polished, uh, throwing motion to, to Hendon, than, than QP there, but still, still raw. Um, so he's going to need some, some work, but, uh, Sky's the limit in terms of his terms of his talent because he has that good blend of size and athleticism, and a strong arm. So, we'll see how he develops. We saw some of the uh, the highlights from um, one of the camps he was at. Looks like he he's doing pretty good, uh, slinging the ball around there. So, looking forward to getting oh, this yeah. guy on campus and seeing uh, you know what we can do with him in this system.
1: Oh yeah, he had a very impressive Elite Eleven camps um, down at South Lake Carroll. He was. Basically considered the best sprawl athletic quarterback there, which is really good. You know, you know whether you make the elite eleven or you get like this award, it tells the guy. You know, we saw some of the pictures. Man, he's built. He's one of those kids. If he polished it between now and the day he walks on campus, he could compete because there's no, there's he's two hundred and thirty pounds. His legs are huge. His upper body's built. With what we like to do with quarterbacks, he could definitely take it. Um, but definitely good. Definitely good pickup. Second, Devin Farrell, a little different. So it's very interesting to see how that'll all shape out. Now, weren't down, done yet in the state of Texas. Yet, yeah, Texas to DT is back, everybody. Ha <laughs> yeah, ha. Texas to VT is back. Gone, but not forgotten. Governor for Baden. But very interesting recruit here, Johnny Dixon, the offensive guard at a Flower Bluff down in Corpus Christi, Texas. Um 88 three-star, the 13th ranked guard in the country. So again, as you get into the offensive line, as you start getting into those teens is where you're starting to see guys who are four-star He's borderline in it right now. Um, Had offers from Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M. And one that really kind of caught some of folks' eyes out there, and I saw somebody mention this, Arkansas. Arkansas is coached by Sam Pittman. Sam Pittman was the guy who put the Georgia offensive lines together the last three or four years before he took the Arkansas job. One of those things somebody said is Sam Pittman offered him, you want a player like that. I I agree 100% with him. Brian, did you get a chance to peek at his tape since he just committed yesterday?
0: I haven't got a look at much of his tape yet, but um, what I've seen from some of the the stuff that's been posted uh, on social media um, looks like a perfect fit at guard. Definitely a need position in terms of the next three years. Uh, In terms of building out the roster, especially the way we've been looking at the offensive line, Um, you know, still concerned about depth on that that unit over the course of the next few years. So it's nice to get a guy in there. And with some of the whispers we're hearing about uh, Jack uh, sliding down uh, it potentially center, um, that that's some. you know, we're starting to fill in at least the interior line over the next couple of years, potentially. So we'll see what happens at the tackle position. And if we're able to bring in another transfer or, or get some, uh, you know, high three and low four star guys in at that position um, going forward, but getting a guy like Johnny Dixon in is going to definitely help and playing that Texas competition. Um, I, I'm not sure about the league, whether it's a you know a, a high level competition league, but um, there's pretty much no you know no, no slouches out there in Texas so and uh, having a guy that used to be in the in the 757 area too kind of understands the program and what it's all about. So good pickup. I will say though I'll, I'll throw a little little criticism on the end of this year. You know right now we're treating a guy like Johnny Dixon as kind of like top flight level of the class where he it really should be like the meat and potatoes of a class.
1: Yeah, true. I, I'm I'm with you on that. Johnny Dixon's a damn good pickup with what he does and where he ranks. But he is not the, he should not be the crown jewel of the class. That is no disrespect to him. Um so everybody jumping them down. Is it good you got two of these commits? Are they solid players? Yeah. But this is kind of what happened last year. You're still looking for the crown jewels, you're still looking for the more elite guys to put at the top of your class where you have guys like Johnny who are really good players. Now could Dixon and Orgy step up potentially be you know as you know sort of the crown jewels? Yes. They both have the build they're both playing in leagues. So they have the potential, but you don't want to be banking this early on guys like that to be your crown jewels.
0: Yeah There's you, you, you guys- I mean we're still talking about you know late april here we don't want to count guys that are high 3 stars that they're going to get a bump up to that that 4 star range and if they get the bump they're they're going to be like in that fringe area anyway they're just going to be on the other side of the of the of the rope there so um, that's still nothing to necessarily hang your hat on at the same time they they're good solid pickups and, and should be good contributors to the program going forward but if we want to build that recruiting momentum, we're going to need to start landing more of the four-star guys to kind of, you know, beat our chest a little bit and show the rest of the ACC that we mean some business on the recruiting trail.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's turn real quick, and probably in a few weeks here, guys, we're probably going to go a little bit more in-depth into spring practice. Um, again, things have been going on in our lives that kind of prevented us from keeping a good heart grasp of what was going on. Over the next few weeks, we'll start getting into that. But one piece of news that came out kind of very disheartening was, you know, Changahe's tore his ACL. And you feel for the guy, played up at Villanova, wanted to essentially take that step up in competition to get more eyes on him, potentially because he put good numbers up at Villanova. Go to Virginia Tech, D one, play an ACC-type schedule, and I put up numbers, maybe I looked at it in the NFL. Um Came in so late last year and kind of started flashing at the end of the season, but it just stinks because we saw what he did in that UVA game as a stick mover. And yep. you, you want a guy like that? You want a guy that it's that can make easy throws with a quarterback? You know, <laughs> what do you think, Brian?
0: Yeah, I think he he did a really good job of at later in the season getting some separation. Uh, from the the corners and the secondary that he was going up against, having a guy like that just to even if it's coming in to give Trey a few uh, a series off here or there, working in the slot if he needs to, giving some of the other guys a break there, if he could just got have gotten some uh, some extra reps there, I think he would have helped us a lot. Um, but you, know, that's where it, that's where this stinks here, man, because you know, he definitely could have been a a high level contributor at a position where we don't have a whole lot of experience depth. Um, you know, I feel like we got a good number of wide receivers in general, but we don't have very many guys at this point that you can count on, like that we know we can count on because we've seen them do it. Um, and, and we're getting less by the day and that that's getting a little scary that, you know, beyond the first three or four guys who we, who are we going to count on? So that's concerning. And, uh and, and you know, Changa going down with that injury definitely, you know, makes that uh, even more of a dicey situation. So hopefully we can either get a guy in the portal to shore that up a little bit, or, you know, some of the other guys, you know, step up this fall.
1: Absolutely. 100% more people have got to step up and, you you know, it's one of those places we have a lot of bodies there who can go out and provide that help. It'll be very interesting to see. All right, Brian. Let's let's one last piece. We we hit it a little bit with Christina. The shortfalls of the athletic department and the football program to put on you don't want to do a spring game, you don't want to bring people to the city, the town of Blacksburg's complaining. You're you're trying to be safe. You're we're trying to get it over with. Not the spring games one thing. We should have at least had a spring production.
0: Do you agree? some sort of something streamed somewhere should have happened? <laughs> whether that's a practice that had cameras, whether that was an actual scrimmage where they just streamed on the ACC network or on Hokie Sports, whatever it was, there needed to be something, especially if you knew you were about to announce this fucking uh, Reach for Excellence campaign. Like, what, what better? I mean, you talked about it that you were originally planning to roll it out of spring game last year. Get some buzz behind the program going into this offseason, going into this little stretch where there's not a lot of news get some buzz so people open their wallets even more freely than they did based on the announcement. Like it's, it's, it's so easy. And the the thing that stinks for me is that you had like, that's, that's all fan base stuff, right? So most of the stuff we're talking yeah. about right now was engaging fans and stuff like that, but there's so much that could have been done like getting recruits to look at this that really could have helped on the trail. And so it's not just a donor thing. It's not just a fan thing. This could have really helped on the recruiting trail as well, saying this is what we're doing. I mean, UCF had like the hashtag jerseys that they had out there. Uh, Florida State did something. I mean, there's there were so many unique ways of having some sort of spring, even if you didn't have people in the stadium at the tailgate, you know, wallets in the stands and shit like that. Like there's so many other ways to generate buzz and donations and recruiting that could have been used that weren't. I, I just see it really? as an opportunity. I don't really care that I couldn't go into the game. It's a missed opportunity to do all those other things. Well, it's, again, it's,
1: it's where you it, you're bullshitting back in December, we're going to make more access. You, you made no access.
0: You made no access. Like we got a repackaged version of the hard hat series with more actual practice cool. live footage. But again, we're still not uh, and, and Christine talked about it and we talked about it a little bit through, we're not getting the reciprocal stuff. We're not getting the back and forth. We're getting very, here is the stuff you requested and we're yeah. either, we either take it or we don't. There, it, there's not that. Let me get you involved in the program. Feel like you're a part of it. It's what
1: she said. It doesn't feel like a fan is running it. It feels like a corporation. Oh, here's what you get. Here's what you get. Here, And it's like, screw that. We wanted to see a game. And some people are like, well, well, recruits won't look at it. Well, if you package it right, they will. If you package it where you're talking to players, where, you know what, they should have done smart, went super silent on it, recorded it, Talk to the, like the players on the sideline and say, hey, hey, two, two nights from now, check out ACC Network. Our stuff's dropping. I say some things on there. Our current guy's talking to recruits. Our coach is saying things to recruits. Again, everybody has been on it. And, and you know what? I think it's partially true. Justin Fuente didn't want to have a spring game. And, and this was his easy way out. He could say in the presser, oh, I miss having people here. You've been here for five years. None of them have ever been recorded. You had to be in person. We showed up back in 16. It was a great time, great atmosphere. So again, if you're with Babcock and this is the person that's going to continue to be in charge, you just lay the hammer and say, you're going to do this shit. What if I don't want to? Then you can get your ass out of the fucking program.
0: See, I mean, at some point, just you got to take the little victories that you can have that are really they're simple on your and, and You know, people will say, oh, well, it costs money to put on the spring game again, whether it does or not, whether it does or not, you could still have recorded a practice. You could still have recorded some sort of scrimmage that wasn't broadcast on the ACC network where you have to bring in officials, where you have to bring in um, media crews and shit like that.
1: You know that. They pay officials to come in
0: for every scrimmage. So what's the fucking difference? Right. It's true. It's true. It's not what? the money. It's not the money loser that ever, like the 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 naysayers were claiming it was. That, that I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'm not, not, not saying the- you wouldn't be in the red. I I just simply think, regardless of what that red is, and knowing it's not that much, it would have been worth it to get it on either the network on Hokie Sports scrimmage practice, whatever the fuck you wanted it to be.
1: It is a chance to give free exposure to your program in the best like possible, yep. and you don't do it. That is a failure of the leadership of the program and the athletic department, in my humble opinion. Boom. All right, let, let's jump off that because we could go on uh-huh.
0: for days.
1: All right, real quick, our nice package defensive line feature with uh, Coach Bill Tyronek, Norrell Pollard, Mario Kendricks. I loved it.
0: I think they did a good job. I, li- I liked the, uh, kind of the realness of the discussion and um, kind of letting the players say what they want to say. And then I feel like Coach Link kind of wrapped it in a bow well and kind of related it back to stuff you see on the field. Um, I thought it was informative. I liked his energy that he brought to the D-line practice sessions. Um, and I liked how guys were holding each other accountable on the practice field as well. I thought that was that was a good representation. So overall, no complaints on that i just feel like we we need more or something different to go along with that if if that was in conjunction with more like fan friendly events and things yeah. like that perfect no complaints but that is being the 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 deepest dive of impact that fans are getting and not getting that reciprocal thing that that that's where it kind of kind of hurts for me So that's really my only complaint is that this is the most we get, not the content itself.
1: It's the most we get. The content itself is solid. The content itself should be, again, that's a nice little package to have every few weeks. But there's more. Yeah. And want more. We're not satisfied with little packages because little packages is just like, okay, great. I got to know. A little bit more about Barrio, see him on the field, hear him. That's cool. I want more. But let's move on, Brian. Um, obviously, the announcement, the reach for Excellence announcement that came with 420, a $400 million influx into the athletic department. You know um, what,
0: buddy? Let's comment on something real quick before we get into it. They definitely put that in the morning on purpose. Because if they put it in the afternoon, everyone was going to be fucking baked. <laughs> I mean, I mean, how's it work?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> work. <no. laughs> That's all. Good
1: morning. Um, this had been buzzed for a while. Um, you know, inside circles, like something's big's coming. It's going to change the landscape of the whole. You know, the football department significantly, the athletic department really big um and it's things that since we started this podcast we've called for yeah and there are other fans out on you know twitter out on social media you know questions being asked by the media and kind of all finally came to fruition and we're going to kind of hit it in piece by piece folks. we're going to start with comments from wit excuse me tim sands then wit look at the castle renovation and then get into the football stuff um Let's just go ahead. Let's start with the Sands. He said it. He fucking said
0: it. Finally, athletics are important. Were you shocked? I wasn't shocked that he thought it. I'm shocked he said it out loud. <laughs> because anybody that looks at any data piece about Virginia Tech knows that athletics have have driven a lot of the economic goodwill in the community and in the school. If you don't see that you're fucking blind. It was nice that he said it. Um, He did point out that like some of the efforts with this started with the boundless impact campus wide fundraising campaign that began, I guess they were discussing it as far as four years back, they launched it in earnest in uh, early 2019 Um, And this was kind of supposed to be built off from that and then announced at the spring game in 2020. And then obviously COVID happened and things shut down in mid-March and apparently everything got put on hold, which was probably the right move. But I think in the interim, we didn't realize how much goodwill the program in general would lose in the interim. And I think that kind of put uh, put 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 the impetus on them to get this out as sooner as soon as possible and get this this ball rolling. And I mean, they they've talked about some of the things that were part of this were starting to be put in place without a formal announcement last year, like some of the additional recruiting positions. But it was good to hear Sands acknowledge that, and then it was good to hear what Witt had to say after that. It's very true. The, the biggest piece of it that
1: um, you know 400 million but the university itself is going to be increasing its money um, to help move Virginia Tech into the operating um, having the operating money of the top third of the programs in the ACC and you start moving top third of the ACC you're essentially moving into the top 25 in the country um, and that's the that's the big piece we're gonna get into it a little bit because wit gave the number and I I don't think me and you were shocked because I think we looked last year at some of the numbers and it was like we need to be higher because we looked at other people's. But to have Tim Sands kind of a kind of say it, you know, say it that it's important, all the sports are important, all the sports are doing well. He kind of even you know kind of had kind of gloss over like you know football didn't have the best, but we're we're, where football now needs to become the cash cow that it is. Yep. So put on sands, you got the Amazon, you got it rolling. Now you're dumping money to what is the most visual aspect of your university football program and the basketball program. Yep. Now let's jump over to WIT. Um so many different places. Where do you want to go on this? Brian. so uh, let's start
0: with the the I'd say let's start with the the goal for the the, the football budget um uh, and okay. the total operating budget for the athletic department um so we're talking about uh, looks like a over 25 million dollar increase um in the operating annual operating budget um over yeah. the next uh, what four years that's playing. yep plain. Four years. And uh, the goal for the football budget is for a 30 million increase over various elements of their budget in that same time frame. So that's not necessarily operations. So if you're doing the math, obviously 25 million increase, 30 million increase, something's not jiving there. The 30 million is spread over various elements of the budget operations being one of them. So some yeah. part of that 30 million chunk is in the 25 million that's going, that's the goal for the, the, the total athletic department. Um, but, they emphasize that football is important. They are going to invest in it going forward. Um, but the other big thing we that Wit talked about was, um, you know, bringing it to the level of, bringing everything, athletic department, but football in particular, to the level of the peers in the conference.
1: And I think that's the
0: thing that we had been harping on a lot is that, you know, we're in the 40s. On, on most of these things in terms of the financial investment, lower on some ends higher on others, but average somewhere in the the mid to high forties in these things. And we need to be at least at that top 25 level and hopefully overachieve, you know, based on the, the, the financial input that we're putting in there and can take the next step and compete for ACC championships again. And he did say it compete for national titles.
1: Absolutely. Well, he, he compared budget wise, ACC, Of where the top dogs are, where you are with Clemson, Florida State. Um, he did mention Notre Dame, Louisville, and he's assuming Miami. They are on an operating budget of 130 million dollars. This brings us up to 125, and where we were once eight to ten in this sort of category, we're now probably going to be positioned probably right at five.
0: Somewhere, with, somewhere between four and six, depending on four, the year, depending on on, yeah. on, 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 on the various things. Yeah,
1: you outraise one year, you go higher. But the point that he made was, we had been down there. You talked about it in the '40s. We're talking about it in the bottom half of the ACC, finance wise, and still overachieving. Still, during the latter years of Frank, winning, you know, having going to the Sugar Bowl, winning ten games. The early part of the Fuente era, the 10 win and the nine win seasons, doing that on a low end budget. Then we look at the basketball program and how it's done, you know, with Buzz now Mike on a lower end budget. That's damn impressive. It's damn impressive. Take look at sixteen and seventeen and look at what Buzz and Mike Young's done with basketball and said, We were competing like that and we didn't have near the amount of funds. That's insane. You know go do that to Clemson. Yep. I have a feeling they wouldn't compete that well. But, you know, another thing that he said, Brian, um, and me and you kind of you know, kind of talked about it a little bit was what essentially saying his goal is for Virginia Tech to become the role model program yep. for athletic departments. And we sat here And we were talking, what are the role model programs? What programs, top football and basketball to your Olympic sports are some of the best?
0: First one that popped in my head was Florida.
1: And the first one that popped into my head was Michigan. And if you think about those programs, both are very good in football. Both are very good in basketball. Both baseball programs have made the College World Series in the last five years. They each have Olympic and other sports, Florida volleyball, huge. You know, Michigan has some of their Olympic sports that's big. Top to bottom, they're competing in everything. And believe it or not, you think about the way you are right now, less football, that's the way the Hokies are looking. Basketball ranked this year, made the tournament. Baseball ranked well on its way to making the NCAA baseball tournament. Wrestling, top ten program won the ACC Jewels, what, four All-Americans at indoor track and field men's championship. Softball's ranked. Soccer's making the – you want to talk about building it. The lesser programs are there. And I know something me and you talked about, Brian, that maybe people don't agree with what Witt did, but Maybe the goal was, I've got to fix this to get the baby ready, to get football and basketball ready. Because now with the renewed interest in those non-revenue sports, there's going to be some big donor. And you talked about it, Brian. There's going to be some big donor that loves indoor track. Maybe they ran at Tech and they went and had a significantly successful career that says, well, how much money does indoor track need this year? $200,000 operating budget, writes the check. You go. That's what Witt gets to do when he looked at the football money. You don't need to write a check for indoor track. Somebody's covered it already.
0: It it definitely gives him more flexibility with the budget to put more money back into football if other sports are more self sufficient. And we're not talking we're not talking about the non revs all of a sudden being one hundred percent. You know liquid with 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 their operating budget like they're still going to need the money that's coming from football operations to to fund various aspects of their sport but the less that has to be pulled from the revenue that football generates and put into these non-revenue sports the more the revenue that football generates gets to stay in football and that's a good it's thing true. for long term and that's a good thing Especially when done in conjunction with these budget increases, uh, with these incentives and goals for the program. Um, Before we move into those five pillars for the football program, though, let's talk a little bit about the Castle renovation plan. What do you think of it, buddy?
1: It looks awesome. I mean, it really does. It is, you know, it's taking a piece of architecture that was built late 1960s, early 1970s, it's keeping the architectural integrity there but bringing it into the 21st century. Um, You know, Witt talked about it's not going to be one complete overhaul because he really wants the team to stay there. I think that's very smart. I I think, you know, trying to move it down to Salem Civic Center or over to the Roanoke um, Civic Center while you're doing this, don't do that. You've got a buzz going with Mike Young right now. Yep. Keep the, keep not only the fans engaged to being on campus, keep the students engaged to being on campus.
0: And now, keep that, keep that uh, home court advantage in place too because people do not like to play in Castle.
1: No, they don't. They don't. It is that – I've never been in Castle. Goal will be to go probably in the next few years during the renovations – but, again, those buildings, the way they're built, it's just, like, think about shooting the free throws about the way it's set up. It's an awkward free throw shot to the student section. They show that behind picture, and you're like, now that is the depth perception with the fans kind of going up, down, very weird, tough place to play. Now, Brian, we talked about the four-year phase. Me and Brian, Whit Babcock, if you're listening, we want to tell you how this phase needs to be done. All right? Phase one. Phase one. Completely redo the boxes. Nothing else in phase one. Right, Brian? Redo the boxes.
0: That was my That was my first thought. Like I said, I don't know to what degree any sort of exterior um, modification is going to be need for, needed for this. But getting the boxes in there does a big thing, which is uh, you get more money for those seats, which can then be put back into the budget for the uh, further renovations that are needed to be completed in this phase. So if you get the boxes done, then things start paying for themselves a little bit more.
1: Oh, yeah. And you're also keeping the donors who are writing the biggest checks happy. You're giving them a new home. take their clientele into you have potentially other big money donors to come in and say hey yeah i'm giving so-and-so and and this is my box what do you think of it well i want one well you're gonna have to pay more money
0: (laughs) ding ding ding
1: (laughs) ding ding. the second piece of it um that we discussed would be like for me it's like the scoreboard change the aesthetics on the inside next And why I say the aesthetics, the new scoreboard, the new walkways you're seeing and not the seating per se is because bring people in there and show them this, all the new stuff that's happening. Probably new concessions, the new scoreboard, the new visual stimulation, because if you have someone who is looking at purchasing season tickets in the future, you're selling them that. You're selling them, like, man. This is this is awesome. The atmosphere is great. This looks good. What do you say?
0: I agree with that because, as much as the seat I put my ass in is important, some of that other stuff is more important in the short term. I feel like because most people are going to put their ass in whatever they enjoy, it, whether whether it's uncomfortable or not, whether it's tighter than they like, what whatever the the problem with oh. the physical seat itself may be, if the other stuff going around them stimulates them the way they want to, they're going to more or less be happy. More or
1: less be happy.
0: More experience upgrade without the physical seat upgrade. Yeah,
1: without the – because if you were to take someone who is interested in basketball and the boxes are done and the seats are done great, it just looks like an old stadium. It's not that incentive to potentially purchase tickets. Third, I've already said it, it's the seats. Then do the seats because you've kept the big money happy. You've got something that interests people that brings them in the building. Now make them comfortable. And then lastly, Brian, me and you, for our, for our conversation a couple of days ago, then you do the outside work. Let the outside be the last
0: piece. Again, aesthetics are nice. Aesthetics may help a little bit with recruiting and just general feel of campus. But the people that are going, that are paying money to go to these games, I think, care more about what's happening inside the walls than what's happening outside.
1: Absolutely. And I think what's currently going on with the basketball program, you know, you've got Keeve who's testing the waters, but you still feel like even if he doesn't come back, top 25 top 30 team tournament team. If Keeve comes back, but like adding Storm Murphy and potentially uh, and the kid out of USF, if Keeve comes back, I think we're ranked like 12th to open the season.
0: I'd say somewhere in that range and somewhere in the 10 to 15 for sure. That's kind of what I was pegging there. So, um, Please. that's going to be big for that program and that's going to, you know, It'll it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that team reacts with those type of expectations put on them because that's something that you know you've over you're, you're essentially been a year early year one and year two under Mike Young let's see with these expectations how the team reacts and what they do because I think you know sky's the limit in terms of of, of what they can achieve. They just got to go and do it and make sure they come together and play the play the type of basketball that they need to at a consistent level. Because consistency's probably been the one thing that has dogged the team the last two years is that, you know, they'll have you know three, three good games, play really, really well up to competition, and then have a game where they play down to some lesser competition or have a game where they just for whatever reason the ball just won't go in the damn hoop. And, true. Uh, and, they, and they lose a game that they, on paper, should have won. And if we can get the those games minimized or eliminated, then that's going to be really big for that program because that means then you're looking at, you know, go 500 against those top-tier opponents or 500 or better against those top-tier opponents. And you're looking at a high rank in the ACC tournament. You're looking at a high rank going into the NCAA tournament. And then you can make a try to make a run, depending on how those matchups line up. Very true.
1: So again, great things for the basketball program, great things for the athletic department in general. But as we've already mentioned before, this is a massive boost to the football program. Um, probably something that should have been done quite a few years ago. They're getting the resources they need. Football. Which stimulates the local economy up to a hundred million dollars a year. Is getting things it needs to get back to the level of the expectations that us as fans, you know, going on 20 25 years expect it to be. And what we're gonna go through now, guys, is we're gonna break down the five sections that were specifically discussed with the dollar amounts and kind of not only how we think it's gonna help, but a little bit of maybe our visions of what we hope they do. LeBron, so let's let's start with the number one. We talked about getting two recruits earlier. Let's talk about recruiting.
0: Recruit staff, man. That's the big one. That's the one they led off with. And that's the one that, you know, they did the whole silent rollout a little bit starting last year with some of the new positions. Um, yeah. It looks like they're looking to grow that even further. Uh, I heard something about them you know, currently looking to fill eight positions on that, across that staff uh, going into 2021. That's going to be big um, because recruiting is definitely the area. I think that we have fallen the most short in terms of the controllable aspects, or at least the quasi controllable aspects that really have money plays a role, but not as much of a role, but getting positions like this can, highlight the areas that we've done well in, in the recruiting, uh, trail and minimize some of those, uh, negative aspects that we've seen over the few years. So getting those hires is going to be big and seeing how that grows. Um, and like I said, the, the highlight they made was full-time staff versus volunteers. And that's really big for those on-campus visits. That's really big for Uh, staying in contact with these uh, recruits on a more regular basis. And I'm looking forward to seeing that pay some dividends, Um, whether it's with this coach or the next coach. I feel like this is going to be the the biggest impact for the school. Well, you know, it it, to
1: me, it absolutely is. And they're talking about it's $5 million over six years, you know, and that's the, that's additional. There's already a small budget there. So you're probably, my guess, is it's probably going to make the budget a million dollars a year, maybe a little over, maybe slightly under. But anyway, getting to the level of a top 25 program. um, And, and it's the positions. You talk about the paying positions versus volunteers. And, and don't get me wrong. This is no knock on a volunteer. But when it's your job to do this and you have to put it on a resume or you're trying to work your way up in this. Then- in the history of collegiate, potentially professional football, having a paying job is very important. Having something you put on your resume saying what you did is super important. So, you know, again, we're getting where we need to be. Now, when this was announced, y'all know me and Brian's creative ass brains kind of went crazy. And we were going back and forth, like, how would we set this up? If this was Brian and Curtis's brainchild, how would we set this up? And I told Brian, the one piece I want is I want essentially a relationship staff, a client manager staff, a a recruit manager staff. And these people, they're not necessarily worried about the game film. They're worried about every other aspect of that kid's life. They're worried about how they're doing in school. I want to get to know the parents, the siblings, the aunts, the uncles, the trainers, where they, you know, what are their interests? What do they like to eat? What's going to be their major? I want a division like that. So when the high four-star recruit out of the beach is coming up for a visit, there is someone who knows that kid's life in and out, and can give Cliff Notes versions to whoever his primary coaching recruiter is.
0: You want the person that's assigned to that recruit when they walk off the bus on Saturday telling them, man, y'all kicked the shit out of Bayside
1: last you night.
0: Like, you want them to know what's important to them, know which buttons to press, yep. and understand that which aspects of the recruiting process are important to them, and who in their sphere of influence is important to them and key to their decision-making process?
1: Absolutely. Now, Brian, you you, you obviously had another side you want.
0: Yeah, I want I want, I want I want I want guys that are dedicated to looking at the the, the game tape, the football stuff. <laughs> the, uh, the the stuff I like the <laughs> sitting in front of a video screen for for hours and hours and then pa- filtering that information and passing it on to coaches so they can better evaluate the talent that's coming in, watching as much camp tape as you can, watching as much your know, game tape in season, watching anything you can get your hands on, practice tape. From the high school practice tape, from the seven on seven, like anything that you can grab and watch and see the intricacies of a recruit's game, so that not only is the coach able to say, "Yeah, this guy is a scheme fit" or "This guy is a skill fit," but also know so they can start getting their minds turning. Once I get this guy in, what can I do with him? Because I know his skill set, I understand his skill set at a deep level setting them up for a good uh, experience once they're on campus, once they're in practice, once they're in the weight room, once they're in the conditioning room. All of that stuff is important.
1: It's true. And, like, and and Brian mentioned this to you, but, like, the way I see this is you're going to have, obviously you're going to have your lower level, like to me, recruit managers, your recruiting analysts, your game analysts, but to me, you would have a director who is setting the big vision and then two like co directors or operations managers for each side. And they're gonna do partially do the roles, but they're also setting the expectations. It's a hierarchy. It has to be. And I don't think having just one primary director of recruiting to give everybody their direction, I don't think that's the way to go. We'll see. Um, but, Brian, let's move on. Obviously, recruiting is important. I'm interested to see the number of recruiting positions that we can count a year from now on the website. Bookmark that. Let's go back and do it. But, Brian, what did, what did the old wu Tang fan song say? Cash rules everything around me.
0: Dollar-dollar bills, y'all.
1: The assistant coaching staff cool is going to be in the course of a 6 year span going up over 10 million dollars and and some people will say well who gives you shit you know there's other people that can pay them well here's the thing football coaches sometimes get comfortable like all of us if you have a shooting star he was killing it not only on the recruiting trail but potentially also as a positional coach where it felt like the last five or six years you know always felt like you know there's certain times people leave you got this kind of money you can check
0: give raises when they're needed um, if you need to move on from a guy you can afford to bring in a top flight candidate to fill the role you can finally play, pay your uh, offensive and defensive coordinators top level money. You can because you can feel comfortable going to a million dollars for a coordinator if you've got the flexibility to still be above two fifty for pretty much every position coach, and you know average in the three hundred range per position coach, and that's what this budget is going to afford, and that's going to be huge. That's going to be very huge, and that—that that to me, other than the recruiting—is you know, they—they they said there's not a hierarchy here. I absolutely believe top to bottom, this is the way, where they want to focus first if the money's there. They—they they, they, I think they're going to increment all aspects of this in terms of their rollout, whether it's facilities, which we haven't gotten to yet, the other aspects. But you know, if if you're putting chips in a bucket, they're putting two or three chips in the first two or three buckets when they're putting one or two in the last two. That's just the way I'm seeing it.
1: you damn right it is. Um, and, you know, think about the assistant pool and think of it, those out there, think of it this way. We've been on record saying we don't feel great about this upcoming season. Just don't. Hope we're wrong. We, we hope we're wrong. We hope we are proved wrong at the end of the year. But now with this type of assistant coach's budget, when you go out and pay, we're clearly paying top dollar for their head coach. Yep. Second highest paid in in the ACC. I think he is a top 20 paid head coach. I'd have to go look. If not, he's borderlining it. I want
0: to say 16, but I could be wrong with that. But I think it's top 20, so. He's not getting
1: low ball money. We know we can pay the coach. What it means is if we do have that bad season, And we do have to terminate the current head coach. When you go out and go look for that next head coach, you're laying to say, whatever you want for your assistant coaches, we're going to be able to get it done. And with the recruiting staff, however you want this built and looking, we're going to be able to get it done. And you're talking about opening up a candidacy of maybe, well, Here's the three or four guys we're looking at to say, listen, we can look at a lot of different potential head coaches, and they can look at the absolute top dollar assistance. All right, Brian. The other one, the pillar number three, which isn't trailing too far behind. If the first two got three drops, three coins in the bucket, this one's probably getting two. But the football operations staff, which Brian kind of sits there and says, where was this 20 years ago when I graduated college? <laughs> <laughs> but basically, will pay
0: me to do this?
1: They'll pay, pay me? me? <laughs> um, but basically building an analytics, analytics staff take so much off the coach's plate. And I mean, this is long overdue. It's kind of already started this year with Tenuta, um being sort of the first, but if you're talking again, it's 5 million. I'm sure there's a small budget there. Again, you're talking about it getting upper close to million a million dollars a year.
0: And, and that's, that's going to be big. And I, I know we talked about it a little bit on our quick hit, but you know, what these essentially are is like, you know, you got quality control on, on the lower end. Uh, That's usually going to be the younger guys that you're bringing in. Um, And then you've got the offensive and defensive and special teams, analyst roles that are usually for the more veteran, uh, either former coaches or guys that have been uh, in those systems for a long time that have seen how the good programs work, have seen things top to bottom and can, can kind of catch those blind spots that coaches may be missing, uh, whether it's at practice or whether it's uh, things going on behind the scenes. So I think all of that is important. Having those more youthful guys learning the ropes, but also uh, you know making sure that that things are running the way they need to from a quality standpoint, and then also the analyst, um, you know, making sure that you know everything's going smooth from a practice perspective from a coach's prep perspective. Um, I know, I know that, uh, Jerry kill did a lot of that when he was here, we need like two or three of those guys on each side of the ball, (laughs) not just one or two in the whole program. (laughs) And in in this
1: type of budget, you can do that.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, you're, you're talking about getting close to probably, probably close to a million. Um,
0: and you're talking you can about at least get one, a couple guys on each side of the ball, and maybe one other analyst to either cover special teams or just kind yeah. of be a catch-all.
1: Yeah, you, you could probably have five big, big guys probably making anywhere I'd say ninety thousand to one hundred fifty thousand, based on their resume. And then you talk about the, what you said with the quality control guys—guys guys who are fresh, who are trying to get their first start in the business—and giving them a reasonable salary and to come to your program, yep. you know. I'm interested to see what both the re- this and the recruiting will do to the GA roles, because now are there still going to be GA roles? Or is well, it more? I think,
0: I think they'll be GA roles, but they're not going to be essentially quasi assistant coaches anymore. Um, I mean, so many of the, of those roles have become. All right. Well, if you're a GA, you're you're almost like assistant position coach in training. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's more or less what it's been and and I think that's it's gonna turn into more of a traditional ga role um kind of prepping you for your first step into uh either the quality control role or a, a position coach role whatever um comes available based on your skill set and what you what you bring to the table yep. All right.
1: The fourth pillar was essentially the player development at two million. Um, Something that kind of really emphasized that caught my ear was essentially getting these guys prepared for life after football, life after college. Um, And and I think it's I think it's such a good thing when you think about it, because, Brian, you were an athlete in college, even though it was D3. You guys had mandatory study halls. You had to keep certain GPAs. You had, I'm pretty sure you had some tutors if you needed. You have people on you all the time. To say we're going to take that guy, you know, who, I mean, he's busting his ass, you know, getting up at 4.30, probably, you know, going training, you know, here's what he's got to be the meals. Taking them out of that element and just putting them into the real world. That, to me, I can see that as a culture shock.
0: Absolutely. It, Absolutely, man, for sure.
1: And and if you're talking about getting these guys prepped for life after, it's such a good thing. And I'm sure it's going to be so much more about it. And you're already hearing the name Sam Stewart a lot. I know she's doing stuff with alumni. I'm not sure if she's going to be involved with this directly. I'd have to look up her title. But uh, what's, your, um, what's your biggest take on this, Brian?
0: Yeah, so Fu called it out directly and mentioned Sam Stewart by name. Um, Apparently, she's been absolutely killing it since getting uh, to Blacksburg. So that's awesome. Um, And he emphasized that as being probably the thing he wants to grow the most in terms of uh, the impact on the players. And he kind of described it as like not not academics and not athletics, but everything in between that these student-athletes deal with. Um, as being both players while they're at the university and then kind of what happens in that life after realm. So um, getting that developed, I think is going to be really, really great. Um, and I think that's, you know, quality of life for players is important. And that that stuff like that can keep players from entering the transfer portal, because not everything is just about playing time and not everything is just about oh, well, I'm far from home. Like sometimes it's other stuff. Sometimes it's, um, you know, those little things that may not, maybe be falling through the cracks. And this is, you know, I think the overall thing here with 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 point three and four is that a lot of this is taking away the blind spots. I feel like the quality and the analysts take away the blind spots for the coaches. And I think this also fills in some of the blind spots that the coaches have in terms of how the players feel, how the players are doing outside of the classroom and outside of the locker room and outside of the stadium. And I think that'll that'll help things going forward for that uh, player quality of life.
1: Absolutely. And to me, the first four pillars, you talk about blind spot with coaches. What this is doing for the coaches, obviously it's giving them more money, but the other three are giving them, your job is to coach football. Is your job to be involved in the, the player's life? Hell yeah. But can you see every single aspect of their life before they get here or while they're here? No, you can't. They're filling in that gap so the coaches can go out and coach and know, you know, having this player development type stuff. Hey, listen, he's had some rough classes lately. Let me keep that in my mind if I see him unfocused.
0: Yeah. Uh, again, I mean, the, the best coach in the world can't he's gonna be. Miss that guy to 85 players all the time. Nope. The more support you can have in that area, the better.
1: It's true. It's very true. And, again, what that helps them is, I hate to say this, coaches not worrying less about that, more time in the film room, more time prepping, more time for jet sweeps. The short side of the field, third and goal, 14.
0: Quarterback power on third and 20.
1: <laughs> because those are – like those plays now, if I see them after everything that this is implemented in the next year and we still have the current coaching staff.
0: It's like, well, at um, least you thought more about it this time.
1: <laughs> thought more about it.
0: You, <laughs> yeah. have, you have punch it was a punch
1: punches them in the face. Never mind. We talked about that before. I right, last piece <laughs> was the additional <laughs> the additional eight billion dollars in utilities. Um and I think this is smart. I mean even though you're looking at the updated weight room, you know, a lot of the redoings of the stuff, the cafeteria, the dorms, it's good to have this money because there are going to be some things in the next few years, whether it be the stadium itself, beamer barn, that are going to need upgrades. Simple as that. And to go ahead and say, well, we're gonna keep eight million over here in case we need it. Great. Now who, who's to say that this type fundraising effort doesn't generate more money than it needs? Yep. And then you say, Well, we do need some to update that, but we got an extra three million. So we can go ahead and move this over to the recruiting and the assistant coaches into the analytical budget into the player development budget to get more people to help
0: those guys out. So well, I I think it's good that they're putting in here because now it's not completely on the big donors to come through for some of these projects. You can incrementally build up each year. So you're, you're saying, all right, well, we're increasing a little bit here. That's earmarked for facilities. And then as you're getting there, obviously, facilities are not something that happen right all the time, right? It's not the building yeah. is ongoing, but the fundraising needs to be ongoing for whenever we're ready to put those capital projects into motion. And I think this helps towards that, where if we see we're falling behind in an area, we can actually move on it instead of having to say, All right, well let's save another few years and hopefully a big donor will come through and we might be able to do this in five years. That five years becomes maybe two or three years now because you plan for it a little bit better. You've taken that into account as you're going along.
1: true, man. It's very true. And, you know, and that's kind of the way this to me is set up is they're looking to the future. They're not, they're changing in a way the way they look at fundraising for the athletes. Department. And it's going to go back to the way the Hokie Club has grown in the last five or six years. And that's still part of it. The Hokie Drive for 25 is still a big part of this initiative. But by saying this, I think what it's saying to people, this is how we're investing your money. And this is our goal. We're no longer trying to to what, what we're, we're not trying to be contenders. We are trying to be champions. Yep. And that and, was a, and the, you kind of heard in with force, like the expectations are no longer, we, we're not and it's almost any sport. We're not fucking around in any sporting. We expect to be good. We expect to be competing.
0: The expectation is to be eating for that conference title in every sport every year we're not going to have a down year. we're we're not going to have a program that's out of competition. we're going to be there every year. and i mean, i think that that's a great vision and i like that and i like that we're approaching this from we're going to set the standard. we're yep. we're going to set the standard of what a good program looks like in the ACC. and that's a big step forward for this because i feel like it's kind of been the way it's been before, it's kind of been like the difference between like stepping up or doing box jumps. Like so, instead of <laughs> stepping up gradually, we'll like be flat for several years, and then we're like, oh, we got to catch up, and then flat for several years. Oh, we got to catch up a little bit. We're yes. not doing that anymore. We're, th- there's a climb now, and there's there's an aiming point, and I feel like that having that aiming point for the program is going to be good, regardless of. You know, who who's the coach in a couple of years? We're setting up whoever is leading these individual teams for success.
1: It's very true, man. Now, Brian, <laughs> I need you to put your Peter Griffith hat on because there was something done during the presentation. Well, uh, just go ahead and uh yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Siegler.
0: Why we why we cut the QA? Why we got the live feed for the Q&A. You already got the live feed set up. It's already there. Just leave it on. And we listen and we, we hear it in real time. And you know what? You're not shortchanging the journalist there because I'll hear it and I'll still go out there and read what Mike Nozolik writes about it or what David Teal writes about it. I'm still going to do that. Yes. It's not stopping me from digesting their content. It's not stopping me from enjoying what you're putting out there. I will. I, we watched the Q&A. We jumped on together and watched it. Um, and we also read everything that was written about it, whether on Twitter or in local what? publications um, about the Reach for Excellence campaign. We will digest it. Don't hide it from us.
1: Especially when we see... So we watched the, both of us, we watched the Reach for Excellence presentation live. And then uh, today, was today, right? Sorry, folks.
0: You know, it was. It. <laughs> it's been a week, yeah. man. It's been a week. Every day feels like two. Um, but we're sitting
1: here and we're watching it. And we pause it and say, why the bleep didn't you just keep the damn thing going? You're using the same camera angles. You're, you're, you're not showing the press or the crowd. You're literally showing this or an off shot when someone's asking the question. You're not doing anything different. It's dumb. It's just dumb. So stop it. Stop it. There it's officially now. You know, Brian, we were we were nice a few weeks ago about we understand if you can't live stream it, but tell us when it is. And guess what? They told us when the Fuente thing was, which is great for us because at 10 o'clock we got to watch it or, you know, Twitter would have followed the interview. Didn't watch that one, folks. Life's crazy. But you now shown us it's really not that hard to do a live stream. So you have no more excuses. You know who you are. You
0: know who you are. And, and much like his Twitter post, he timed the release of the live stream. <laughs> because it ran about two-thirds of the way from into Mike Nazolic's first question, and then the live stream cut out.
1: Of course, he did. All right, Brian. Anything breaking on the Twitter sphere or in general? By the way, we will not be here next week, folks. We're going to be probably doing it every couple weeks now. Um, but next week is the draft. Um, best of luck to all of the Hokies in the draft. I. Uh, Ryan's crossing his fingers that uh, a certain guy slips down the board a little bit for the Air offensive. I <laughs> now officially because of you know the, the small back surgery that Caleb Farley had, I've now got fingers crossed that he can slip out of the first round. And since we only essentially have about seven five roster spots, excuse me, five roster spots for the Niners. I'm really hoping that he slips far enough. We just take some capital and go up and get him.
0: Okay. I'm uh while we probably could use an extra cornerback. I don't think he's the best scheme fit for the system that we have. So I am not hoping the same thing in general. I hope he makes it uh, in the first round just because that's good for the program and good for him, obviously, because that, that means more money. Um, which is never a bad thing especially when it comes to to football players on their first contract so i hope that's good for him um i am hoping because the money's not that big of a difference between where he's projected and where we are that uh, that, that christian Derisaw does uh, sink to the the low 20s and we can scoop him up there because we need a tackle uh whether we end up slugging him in right there at left or doing some uh, some switching and put him in at right I think he's going to be good. I'd be happy with him on either side of the uh, the line there. So,
1: yeah, it's very you know, true, buddy. Yeah, uh, I, I might, you know, depending on what happens at three, you, you, you might be, you might want to drive over here. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm going to go. He's going to text me like I'm coming over to live stream you on the curb of your house crying.
0: I'll bring liquor.
1: <laughs> I have to, man. I, I swear. As as y'all know, I'm a 49ers fan, and all I keep hearing is Mac Jones. Mac Jones. He's the fit. He's the fit. And it's like this kid's got my body. <laughs> Seriously, I put my shirt off right now, and you put it next to Mac. You probably couldn't tell the difference. And they're talking about Listen, if we were at 12 and we took him, I'd have no issue. You do not trade that much draft capital to get at what is best a Kirk Cousins at best. That is his ceiling. His floor is any backup player, any backup quarterback in the league. And do we need to
0: remind folks where Kirk Cousins was taken? Even if you want to argue Kirk Cousins was taken too low, he was still taken well past pick number three. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, will. The other issue is with Mac, and this is me. I don't know what he is. And a lot of people say, oh, he's a great processor. It's, it's really easy to process when no one's at your feet and when your guys are getting wide open. It's really easy to process. And so he's essentially going to be playing with what this year is probably going to be four guys taken in the first two rounds, two offensive well, – actually five. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed an extra player there. How could I? He's literally was playing with five potential day one first 64 off the board. Yeah. That's insane. And they were all positions that directly affected him. Two wide outs, a running back, a left tackle, and an interior offensive lineman.
0: So think of it and, like this, what, what he was doing at, at Bama is like if you took if you took the top flight players of an NFL offense and they got to go against the scout team all the time or against the rookies on defense all the time like you're 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 taking these high level players and going against guys that are either inexperienced, not used to going up against this level of talent or just not quite athletic enough and and that's that's what bama was doing against pretty much every piece of competition and all mac jones had to do was like oh he's open and i'm not underselling the processing i'm not underselling the reads that he was making but i am saying that it's a hell of a lot easier to make reads fast when guys get open
1: it's it's true and and my my other worry with him he doesn't He has an average or slightly above average arm. His athleticism isn't there. There's people he ran like a four seven. Dude, he ran like a four nine. I've seen that kid run.
0: Man, any 40, add at least a tenth to it this year. At least.
1: Certain situations you add two tenths to it. (laughs) Um but everybody keeps saying he's scheme fit, he's scheme fit. And I'm I'm really hoping it's one of the other three quarterbacks. Because, you know, everybody's like, well, he could be Brady. This is.
0: Uh, I, like, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Know? Sorry. I didn't mean to laugh that out loud. <laughs> let, me,
1: let me dig at this a little bit, though. Tom Brady this year, how many number one receivers were on that team? Like, true, like any other team, they would have been a number one receiver. Three. <laughs> Mike Evans, Chris Goblin. How many yeah. upper epsilon tight ends did he have that would have been starters on any other team? Two. Three. You got O.J. Howard.
0: Uh, yeah, I've, I always forget O.J. Howard.
1: How many potential starting running backs did he have on the team this year? At least two. Three,
0: At least two. three by the end of the year.
1: <laughs> Was it a mid-grade offensive line? No. They ranked fifth. They were were the fifth-ranked best line of the the league. Fifth. Guess where the defense ranked?
0: Uh, Top ten? Six.
1: He's like Tom Brady. Do you know how tough it is to get the amount
0: of talent? All right, Brian, you got anything else tonight, big guy? I'm good, buddy. I'm good. We got our NFL dose in there. We, we had to because we're not, we
1: might be Skyping or on Discord later, maybe on Thursday, so you can hear me cry or something. But uh, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe for the podcast on your favorite source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. Also, guys, visit our website, boundarycornervt.com. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us in. He plays us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening. Please rate, review the podcast. DM us if you have questions, something you want to talk about. And as always, let's go. Hokies.